John 21. As you are turning there, or as you're waiting for me to turn there, um, please remember Pastor Leto, our youth pastor, in your prayers. Um, he is at home with his family, sick. Um, him and both of the boys, uh, believe, have strep and some type of a stomach bug. <sighs> Be in prayer for them. Oh, man. Um, so I spoke to him yesterday, and uh, he told me what was going on, and I said, listen, I said, if you plan on coming to church, I said, do not be offended if I keep my distance from you, because uh, we're going on vacation this weekend, and I do not want to get sick. Do not want to get sick. But um, be in prayer for him. All right, John 21, if you're there, say word. Fantastic. Here at Red Cross, we like to stand in the honor of the reading of God's word, so go ahead and stand with me. John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the, of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he, he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? 
Jesus said to him, it is my will that he remain. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I, I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for this word. God, we pray that you would apply it to our lives. Show us the truth that you have. We thank you for a church where we stand on this authority, this inerrant book that you have given us, your word. So God, I pray that you will use it as you see fit this morning. Use me as you see fit. In your son's precious name, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, 18 months through the Gospel of John. This has been good, right? Well, we'll find out. we still got one more sermon. But John 21. We left last week at the resurrection. Jesus appears to the disciples and at the end of John 20, John tells us, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Now I'm going to give you a little fun fact here. When the Bible, when, when, when this letter, when all the letters, when everything in the Bible was originally written... Over the course of thousands of years, when it was originally written, there were no chapters and verses. So when we're reading John about how he's written these things so that we may believe, we can actually take that as part of the context for John 21. What I see here in this passage and what we can take away here is the fact that Jesus is trying to show his disciples post-resurrection how they are to live in this world. See, now, through, through the, through, for the past 18 months, we have been pre-resurrection. We've been neck deep in a world before Christ had died, before Christ had risen from the grave. But here, we're now in a world that we can relate to a world that is post-resurrection. Now that Christ has died, now that he's resurrected, how do we live? What does this mean to us? The main idea I want to get across to you this morning is this. Followers of Jesus are called to feed on Jesus so they may feed others the gospel. Followers of Jesus are called to feed on Jesus so they may feed others the gospel. Now, we could have taken this chapter and we could have broken it up into four or five more sermons. But to see the overall story of what's happening here, the overall scene of Jesus appearing to his disciples for the third time. We're able to take away the fact that Jesus is calling his followers to feed on him so they may feed others. To feed on Him so that they may feed others. Now this morning I am, I am on like 
four hours of sleep, five hours of sleep. I just got back from Kentucky yesterday, but I'm fired up. Had a fantastic time. Dr. Jarvis Williams of Southern Seminary gave us two days worth of lectures on biblical hermeneutics. I know you guys are like, what? And so I am full. Like, I want to get this out, okay? So let's jump into it. So I've got five things here. Five things that Jesus shows us within this narrative of John 21. So first off, he shows us that we are to have faith in Jesus. As followers in this world, post-resurrection, we are to have faith in Jesus. Now, when we think of faith, we think of this saving knowledge, right? I mean, that's faith. We have faith in Christ. But what Jesus shows here is he shows us what that faith looks like. So in verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Now this is after they had gone out fishing, okay? Anybody here like to fish? I love to fish. My wife doesn't like it when I fish, but I love to fish. I don't get the time to fish like I wish I did. Fishing is a good time to think, right? Because you got to be quiet, I don't like taking my kids fishing because we never catch anything. You got to be quiet. But it gives you time to think as you sit down, put that rod in there. But that's not how they're fishing here. They're fishing with nets. They're throwing them out there. They're trying to catch something and they're catching nothing. Nothing. These are professional fishermen who are not catching any fish. But Jesus shows us in verse 5. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. What can we take away just from this small passage here? We can take away that we can have faith in Christ. We can have faith in his sovereignty. We can have faith in his sovereignty. Because I can tell you right now, I'm pretty sure Jesus is the one who withheld them from being able to catch any fish. Jesus is using this as an illustration for them. He, he, with, he, he made it to where, out of his sovereign will and power, that they are not going to catch any fish. Why? Because he's going to make it to where they will catch the fish. To show him who he is. We can have faith in his sovereignty. Now we know that we live in a world that can be crazy sometimes. We live in a world where we don't know what tomorrow holds. Jerry Bridges, out of his book, Trusting God, he says, Our duty is found in the revealed will of God in the scriptures. Our trust must be in the sovereign will of God as He works in the ordinary circumstances of our daily lives for our good and His glory. You got to think, these disciples, post-resurrection, they've been following Jesus this entire time. Jesus died, He's resurrected. Now they're kind of like, what are we to do now? Let's go fishing. How are we to live our lives now? Let's go fishing. They, 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 were, they were probably wondering after these past three years of following Christ, what do I do? 
What, what does tomorrow hold? Where do we go? How do we live this life now? In a life where we daily have questions, daily have uncertainties, we can always have faith in the sovereignty of God. Because even though we don't know what tomorrow holds, we know who holds tomorrow, right? We know that even though we don't know how tomorrow's going to be, we know that God is already there. And He's already in control of it. He's already planned it. He's sovereign. And we can have faith in His sovereignty. Secondly, we can see that we can have faith in His provision. Right? If it wasn't for God's provision in my life, I wouldn't be where I am today. I love how, how my sister mentioned, because I didn't tell her what, what I was preaching on, but where you know she talked about how we are to be thankful for these things because God is the one that provided them for us. Why do you have a family? God provided it. Why do you have a job? God provided it. Why do you have a car or money? God provided it. Why are you able to come to church? Because God's provided it. Why do you have an awesome pastor? Because God's provided it. Why are y'all laughing? (laughs) But no, really, it's because God has provided these things. We can have faith in his provision. We can trust tomorrow with God because he's been faithful with us and for us all of our lives by providing our needs for us. He provides our needs. Now, he doesn't always provide our wants, right? If y'all didn't hear the, the little kid that kept running his mouth about what he wants for Christmas, that was my son. He doesn't understand he's getting Christmas this coming week. <laughs> we're going, we're taking the kids to Disney World. That's their Christmas gift. I don't know if he's going to have anything to open on Christmas morning <laughs> after this trip. But we can trust that God will provide for our needs. And that's what he's trying to show the disciples here. That God is the one who provided the fish. Now we need to see here too that we can have faith in His provision because God is not only the one who provides for our needs, but He's also the one who provides salvation. And He's sovereign over that as well. Paul tells us that He plants and Apollos watered, but God's the one that gives the growth. After this, and and Peter, Peter here... (laughs) In the book of Acts, he he gives a message and 3,000 people come to know Christ. God provided that. And we can have faith in his provision. He's the one that provides the blessings. And thirdly, we can have faith in his word. Now here, I know the disciples, for some reason, they listen to the voice of the guy on the shore, not knowing that it's Jesus. And they threw the net on the other side. But here we can understand that if we obey his word, if we have faith in his word, blessing comes from obedience. 
So many people wonder, why, why, why does it feel like my life is falling apart? Why does, it, why does it seem like nothing seems to be going right? Relationships are not going right. My job's not going right. Things just keep messing up. Whenever somebody asks me that question, my first, one of my first reactions to them and my questions to them is, is well, are you obedient to the Word of God? Because it's obedience that brings blessing. Now, we don't obey to be blessed, okay? That's prosperity. We don't obey to be blessed. But our disobedience will withhold God's blessings from our lives. We see here that within this life, post-resurrection, we can have faith in His Word. But not only, not only with obeying it, but trusting it. Trusting it. Church, I, I, I know you probably know this about me. I, I struggle with anxiety. I'm an anxious person. That's just, I, I, I might be genetics, but I, I, I struggle with that. It's a sin problem too. Because the Bible tells us we're not to worry. But when I get a text message from a church member that says, hey, we need to talk. <laughs> Red flag. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> what did I do? But it's when I'm able to read God's word and trust in knowing what is true, I'm able to trust in the promises that Christ has. Promises that He's given us within this word that He will never leave us nor forsake us. That God is a tower of refuge and strength. That if we would cast all of our anxieties on Him, He will give us peace that surpasses all understanding. That, that, that He is a sovereign God, and we see it throughout the entire Bible. Romans 8, how He works out all things for the good of those who are called according to His purpose in the context of suffering. We can have faith in His Word. Secondly, we're going to speed up a, a little bit. We're not going to be here all day, I promise. Secondly, Christ shows us not only are we to have faith in, in Him, but we are also called to fellowship with Him. Fellowship with Him. Verse 9. Well, I want to make mention first, verse 7, when, when John, the beloved, who we find out that this is John later in this chapter, but when John tells Peter, it is the Lord Peter, throws on his coat and jumps out into the water and leaves the fishermen behind to haul in all the fish. But Peter, who when he's recognized that this is Christ, he wants to run to Him. And he wants to see Him. So in verse 9, when they, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. There's nothing special about the number 153. All right, don't try to bring out some prophecy with this, okay? This is just showing that John is an eyewitness account that he was there and they counted 153 fish. It's amazing. All right. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. 
Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. What are the disciples doing here with Jesus? They're fellowshipping with him. If Jesus tells you to come and have breakfast with me, You better go and have breakfast with Jesus and not miss that opportunity. But here's the thing, church. Christ calls us every single day to have a meal with him. How is that? Feed on the word of God. Spend time with him daily. He has called us to fellowship with him. And this, this is the one thing that we neglect. I forgot what Josh Fraley said at, um, at Guy Simpson's funeral, the statistic, but it's a very small statistic of how many Bible-believing Christians actually read their Bibles. We are called to fellowship with Jesus. These disciples who have spent the past three years with him daily. They've eaten with him. They've talked with him. They've laughed with him. They've cried with him. Now Jesus has resurrected and pretty soon he's going to ascend into heaven. They're not going to have that one-on-one with him. But Jesus still wants us to fellowship with him. Wants us to fellowship with him. Why? Firstly, to know him. We are called to fellowship with Jesus so that we can know Jesus. Spurgeon tells us faith is the road, but communion with Jesus is the well from which the pilgrim drinks. We who are pilgrims on this road to the celestial city of heaven, we are called to commune with Christ daily. To know Him. Paul tells us in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul did not see knowing Christ as a burden. He did not see fellowship with Christ as a duty. He saw it as delight. It's a treasure to him. What's the worth of knowing Christ Jesus to you? I've shared this illustration with you several times. I know President Trump. I read about him. I see his tweets. I see the news coverage. I know who he's married to. I know who his kids are. But do I know President Trump? No. I've never met him. Never talked to him. I don't text him. I don't know President Trump. But too many of us say that we know Jesus, but we can probably say we know President Trump more than we know our own Savior, even though we don't have a communing relationship with him. But yet we have a communing relationship with with Christ, the Messiah. So what do we as disciples do in a world post-resurrection? We are called to daily have fellowship with Him, to know Him. 
Secondly, to be strengthened by him. What, what are the disciples doing here? They've been fishing all night long. They're tired. They've caught nothing. They're discouraged. But Christ is going to feed them. Christ provided the fish. He's provided the fire. He's providing the bread. Come and have breakfast with me. Eat. What's going to happen with these disciples after they eat? They're going to be strengthened. I love the illustration about me, about pastors on a Sunday morning. I take the entire week before a sermon and I'm filling up within me the Word of God and Scripture, some weeks more than others. And Sunday morning, it's me pouring out onto you. But you see, Sunday morning is where I'm emptying out, but yet you're filling up, hopefully, so that as you're emptying out throughout the week, you come back Sunday morning to be filled back up. But church, let me tell you something. If you're relying on Sunday morning service to be filled up and strengthened, but yet the other six days out of the week, you're not even dusting off the dust of your Bibles to look in it and read it and study it and see who Jesus is, then when you come on Sunday morning, you are malnourished, dehydrated of the Spirit of Christ, and you are no good. You wonder why you're weak. You wonder why you worry. You wonder why you struggle. Yes, fellowshipping with Christ does not make every day perfect. It does not mean you will be sinless. It does not mean you will not struggle. But fellowshipping with Christ gives us the strength to encounter every single thing that happens. Fellowshipping with Christ, even though we don't know what tomorrow holds, Christ does. And when we fellowship with Him, by His sovereignty, I'm pretty sure He's going to give you something that's going to prepare you for what's coming. And that's what He's doing here. He's preparing the disciples for what's coming. What is that? Thirdly, we fellowship with Him to share Him. We fellowship with Christ to share Christ. Christ tells us that He is the Word of life and that we are to, to drink that in. We are to consume that. And this is, this is another il illustration that I really like, is how when we continue to consume Christ, when we continue to drink the Word of life, as we're fellowshipping with Him, what's going to eventually happen? Eventually that water is going to start coming out. And when that water starts coming out, it's when you start telling other people about the Savior that you have spent time with. I love spending time. Guy Simpson, who we put to rest last week, fantastic man. I loved that guy. Loved spending time with him. And he was one of those guys where you knew he spent time with Jesus. Because anytime you left, anytime you... Anytime I pulled out of that driveway, I was always thinking in my mind, I want to know Jesus like he does. And I've got, I've got friends like that. I've got people within this church like that. Dr. Williams this past weekend teaching us hermeneutics was like that. And I left the eight-hour drive last night. I'm praying in my mind, I want to know Jesus like that. 
Because as we fellowship with him, we end up sharing him. And this is what Christ is preparing for the disciples. Number three, to feed others Jesus. To feed others. Now here in verses 15 through through 19, we see this, uh, this interesting conversation, this dialogue between Jesus and Peter. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? What does this mean? Well, we see that they are around a charcoal fire, which relates to the time that Peter was standing around a fire while Jesus was being tried. And as he was standing around that fire while Jesus was being tried, he was asked three times, are you one of the disciples? Do you know Jesus? And he denied him three times. Right? Remember that? Just a few weeks ago. Here in 15 through through 19, Jesus is using this dialogue to restore Christ, or to restore Peter, to be a Christ follower, to, to share the gospel. He's recommissioning him to the gospel ministry. So here, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Now, people like to try to bring out the Greek within the the love language here. They like to say that, you know, Jesus asked twice agape. Peter kept responding with phileo, which is a brotherly love. And then finally, Christ responded with the brotherly love. From what I have studied and from what I have learned, that does not matter in this context. Christ is asking, do you love me? And Peter is grieved, not because of how Christ asked the question, but because he asked the question a third time. Peter is grieved in remembering and recalling what happened by denying him three times. He's reminded, three times I denied you. Three times. Three times I betrayed you. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. We are called to feed others Christ within a post-resurrection world. Firstly, no matter our past. No matter our past. Christ's grace covers every sin you commit. And Christ commissions all believers to share the gospel, to feed the sheep. Now here we see in context, possibly Christ calling Peter in a pastoral sense, feed my sheep, feed my church. This is why here at Red Cross, we we try to make it a priority of the preaching of the word of God. Feed my sheep. And that's what we are called here to do. We are called here to feed you. But here's the thing. This has taken place after Christ has just fed them. 
So if we are called to feed you, that means out of you being fed, you are called to feed others. So let's talk about discipleship for a second. Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are called as believers to make disciples, not converts. In church, not just pastors, not just youth pastors. Parents are, students are, adults are, even children. We are called to make disciples. We are called to train people up in the church to feed other people. So what do we do here on Sundays? We are called to equip you. To feed you, to feed others. We are called to feed others Christ, no matter our past. And secondly, out of love for Christ. Somebody uh, shared a meme with me the other day. Y'all seen that crazy cat meme on Facebook? You got the lady that's screaming and you got the cat at the dinner table. The lady that was screaming said, I'm not called to evangelism. And the cat said, that's funny. You just spent 20 minutes in your Uber ride trying to trying to persuade your Uber driver to have Disney Plus. It's funny that we are it's easy for us to talk about things we love. People we love. TV shows and movies we love. It's easy for us to talk about those things, but yet we feel like we're not called to talk about Christ because that's not my calling. Church, that's everybody's calling. You might not be called to hold the office of preacher and teacher, but you're called to make disciples. We are all called to do that, and it's out of love for Christ. That's what... Jesus is trying to show Peter here. Go feed my sheep. And boy, throughout the book of Acts, Peter does. (laughs) And it's amazing to see that happen. Fourthly, not only are we called to have faith in Jesus, fellowship with Jesus, and feed others Jesus, we are also called to follow Jesus. Verse 19. Actually, you know what? Let's go up to verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Wow. Peter is being told by Christ, this is how you're going to die. You're going to die by having your arms stretched out. Somebody else is going to dress you. What's he pointing to here? You're going to die by crucifixion, Peter. You're going to be martyred. And then after he tells Peter that, he says, follow me. Even though you're going to die a martyr's death, follow me. Even though you're going to die because you're following me, follow me. Church, we are called to follow Christ. First is to be total surrender. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's a total surrender. We are giving up everything to follow Jesus. 
We are willing to give up family and friends. We are willing to give up our jobs. We are willing to give up even our own living spaces, our towns. We would move for the sake of following Christ. It's total surrender. We die to ourselves every single day. And secondly, no matter the cost. We may not all die a martyr's death, but we are all called to die to ourselves. 1 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, this is funny. Peter's like, okay, I'm going to die because of this faith. Well, what about that guy? I, I'm, I'm, I'm paying this price here. What about him? Is he going to pay that price? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that his disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Again, we may not all die a martyr's death, but we are all called to die to ourselves. What happens with John? This is who, because we're going to, we find out in verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. This is the author of the gospel. What happens to this John? He doesn't die a martyr's death. He gets persecuted. I believe this John is the John who was bold alive. He didn't die from it, but he was bold alive. And then he was exiled on the island of Patmos, which is where he wrote the, the, uh, the, the book of Revelation at. But he didn't die a martyr's death. Peter did. According to history, Peter was crucified upside down. He died a martyr's death. What about Paul throughout the book of Acts? He died a martyr's death. He had his head chopped off according to history. A lot of these other disciples, they were, I think one was thrown off of a rooftop. They died for their faith. They were willing to give their lives for the gospel. I think it was John the Baptist who lost his head because he stood for a biblical view of marriage. I mean, that's not applicable today, is it? We're called to follow Christ no matter the cost. No matter the cost. In church, I'm telling you right now, our nation is becoming more and more hostile to the gospel, to the true gospel. But it's nothing new to other cultures around the world. We have freedom to worship. Other places don't. Number five, because. Why does all this matter? Why, why are we able to do that? Verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, we don't know who wrote this part. John may have died before he finished this uh, gospel, and some of, the, some of the other believers may have finished this 
portion out, or maybe it was John in agreement with the other disciples. We don't know. But there's a we there. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So what? Because we, we, we are able to have faith in Christ, we're able to fellowship with Christ, we're able to feed others Christ, and we're able to follow Christ. Why? Why is that important? Because, firstly, the word is true. If all of this is true, and we believe it is, even though we live in a culture Even though we live in a world where there are crazy people trying to say that this isn't true. I feel like I'm going a little indie funny up here. But if, but we do, we live in a culture like that. This isn't true. Not all of it is. Yes, it is. Because if this isn't true, then nothing matters. But if this is true, nothing else matters. And we are able to follow Christ. We're able to give our lives for the sake of the gospel because this word is true. We follow Christ out of obedience because this word is true. We give our lives for the sake of the gospel because this word is true. We answer the calling to ministry and missions because this word is true. In church, if we truly believe this word is true, then why aren't you reading it? We do all these things because the word is true. And secondly, look at verse 25. This is beautiful. I love how John closes this book out. Verse 25, and then we will, we will close. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. We are able to do all these things, and we should do all these things. One, because the word is true, and secondly, because Jesus is great. Jesus is great. And He's good, and gracious, and merciful. John wrote this gospel so that we may believe. And if we truly believe it, John 21 shows us this is how we are to live. We are to live by having faith in Him. We are to live by fellowshipping with Him, by communing with Him daily. We are to live... By feeding other people the gospel. We are to live by following Him. By our lives living in holiness and in obedience. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. And no matter the cost. Why? Because this word is true. And Jesus is great. It's the greatness of Christ that should drive us. For everything that we do. It's the greatness of Christ that should drive us to missions. It's the greatness of Christ that should drive us to evangelism. It's the greatness of Christ that should drive us to this word. And to study it. And to be in it. So church, do you see this word as true? And do you see Jesus as great? 
as pastors, our goal when we preach should never be, wow, pastor, that was a great message. Even though that is encouraging, we toil over these things. This takes hours. This doesn't, it's not just like I open up the passage and just like, oh, that looks great. This takes study, like looking into the context, looking at, but our goal is not for you to say, oh, pastor, that was a great message. Our goal for godly pastors, Bible-believing pastors, our goal is so that you see that Jesus is great. Because I don't, I don't want you to walk out of this building saying, wow, what a great sermon. I want you to walk out of this building saying, wow, what a great Savior. Do you know Him? The Savior who died for your sins, who, who hung there so that you may have life abundantly. I pray you do. But church, we have work to do. We have work to do. And I pray that this was encouraging and motivating. The altar will be open here in just a second. Um, again, there's nothing magical about the altar, um, but sometimes, you know, when when we are convicted or, or, or when something's heavy on us, sometimes there's just there's just something about leaving it here and then going back. And so um, I'm here if you need if you need to pray. Um, church, we're called to be followers. We're called to be followers, and as we follow, we are called to feed. So I pray that we are doing that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Pray, God, that as we go into this time of invitation, that you will grab our hearts, that you will help us to see that your word is true and that you are great. You are a good God. And help us this morning. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.